you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, May 19th, 2020. 22. This is episode number 283. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about Harvey Milk and what he did for legalization, a racist motherfucker in our industry, 100 arrests in the Antelope Valley, Wiz Khalifa launches a late-night delivery-only company, a study on the safety of CBD, the metaverse, and many other frosty nuggets, so stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up on the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Are you ready for this, Rico? About as ready as I'm going to be. Let's do it. Okay. All right, so my story is coming from KQED from uh, Julian E.G. Sorapuru and uh, Amaya Edwards. Mike Barnes thinks he should be able to say the N-word. So I initially didn't want to cover this story and, I give, and give this person any more oxygen than they deserved, but since the information's already out and the debate's moving forward, we got to talk about him. Michael Big Mike Barnes. Apparently a regular at large Bay Area cannabis events doing the most to make sure people notice him with a loud ass slapped together bargain basement cannabis man three piece suit complete with a million bright green pot leaves on it. You know who I'm talking about. If not the Mike Barnes, you probably know a Mike Barnes, the sad soul that knows everybody can get access to whatever he or anyone he wants, catapulted to local celebrity celebrity status for embracing the role of court jester and their fun attitude, wacky clothing, and white skin that make them easier to approach. And more believable when asking serious questions about anything, a privileged clown. But today let's focus on the Mike Barnes. 
Last month's 420 Hippie Hill celebration in Golden Gate Park, Q- KQED reporter Julian E.G. Separ- sorry, brother. Uh, and he's a photojournalist, and Amaya Edwards, um, excuse me, he's the journal- he is the reporter, and Amaya Edwards is the photojournalist. They're both black. They're on location in what they most likely thought was going to be a standard issue Bay Area Weed Day celebration. They run into Michael Big Mike Barnes, and there's a quote that they got on record. I'm going to play this for y'all real quickly here. Tell me a little bit about the, the get up today. Oh, I just come out here just to have fun. I'm not promoting anything or anybody or anything. I'm just coming out here to be part of it and have fun. Yeah, yeah. That's it. What about the outfit? Is that something you've been having for a while? Uh, oh, oh, a few years. Yeah, I pieced it together from Amazon and other stuff like that. Okay. A few years ago. They actually uh, took my picture and they put me on floor, on uh, Rolling Stone. Oh, man, you might be on our article. <laughs> they had me on Fox News this morning. I laughed my ass off. And in Channel 2, they interviewed me. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. I just do it for shits and giggles. What was Fox saying? Uh, um, things to do for 420. And they just had, they were using my picture. That's gotcha, all. Gotcha. It wasn't an interview or nothing. Just oh, my picture. Okay. I'm scrolling down, you know, blah, 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 Fox. I'm going down there, and there's me. I'm like, oh, oh, oh damn. That's what you do for your day job? I grow weed. That's what I do. Are you selling out here today, too? Nope. Nope. Are you enjoying your own I'm having a good time. Everybody wants to buy the weed. I'm not selling it. I'm giving a little bit of it away. Actually, Mike Tyson, they're like, throw some up if you got the weed, throw it. So they wanted the whole bag. I literally threw a handful and they swatted it away. I said, fuck you, nigger, and turned around and walked away. You don't want my weed, you want the whole bag? Let's just say I'm not a Mike Tyson fan anymore. Fuck him. Greedy motherfucker. Have a good day, man. All right. So there's a video of Barnes' interaction with Mike Tyson while on stage, and it's as cringeworthy as you'd expect. The dickhead's throwing handfuls of bud at Mike from a crowd of, I don't know, like 100 or so people and getting mad that he won't pick it up off the stage and smoke it. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Five years in this California legalization experiment, and sure, the system's got plenty of problems. Taxes are too high. Licenses are too slow to roll out and too expensive to attain. Sustainable packaging's a problem. Racism. You don't hear too much about that last one, do you? That's what the social equity conversation is all about, right? Racism is so damn subjective these days that we can't even agree what it is and what it ain't anymore. This is racism. Don't think I've ever met Mike Barnes personally, and I have no interest in doing so, but I'm from a place called Fluvanna County, Virginia, not a town, a rural-ass county about 35 minutes outside of Charlottesville, the same Charlottesville where 2017, the the infamous Unite the Right rally was held and a bunch of white supremacists cosplaying as a herd of golf, car- golf course Donald Trumps marched through the streets, causing a bunch of ruckus, yelling racial slurs at anyone in, at anyone in color within eyesight while lighting up UVA campus with big lot tiki torches. That's Charlottesville. They killed a girl. That's Charlottesville. The racist dickhead that organized that whole thing, Jason Kessler. I went to middle school and high school with him. Even though he's a year behind me in school, we're on the, we are the same age. And I knew him fairly well because my graduating class was the biggest ever at that school at 119 people. There weren't many of us there, so we all knew each other. As racist as he was, he never dropped an N-bomb around me. Hard R or not. Because see where I'm from? There's an unwritten understanding about that word when released by white lips and directed at black bodies. An ass whooping's about to go down, either mine or yours. 
We're both riding on a racist ass freeway with no goddamn exits. You stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine. Yep, we got a lot of road rage in the South, but you know what? Everybody knows where we stand. Things are different out here. I get calls from my people all the time. Oh, when are you coming back? You got to move back. We need your activism out here. My answer every time is fuck no. That open racism, especially when verbalized, hurts. It hurts more than the violence, I'd argue, because you grow up around that shit. It just beats on you for years and years. And when you're outnumbered, you can't do shit about it. And that's just the way it is. That's what everybody says. That's just the way it is. Being a numbers guy, a data nerd, I know there's plenty of racists out here in California, plenty of Mike Barnes amongst us, but I'd rather they keep that shit over there the way that it is, behind closed doors. In the South, you know who's racist, not just because it's visible and audible, but out here, the fact that I don't have to hear people saying that shit regularly shows me that I can walk around with a, le- with a lot less anger on my chest, a lot less anxiety. It motivates me to actually socialize with people that don't look like me. Currently, I don't have too much to worry about with my daughter growing up and learning how to compartmentalize her pain like I did. But every now and then, I run into a Mike Barnes. I let him know where I'm from and the unwritten code of racial engagement that I grew up honoring. They either apologize, walk away, or we do things the VA way. I don't believe in censorship or cancel culture. And I know the data shows boycotts really don't work in favor of the plaintiff. And generally, I don't condone violence, but sometimes you got to remind motherfuckers like this where you're from and let them know where you ain't going. So if you want to use that word around me, just know when you get the shit slapped out of you in public in front of all your friends, I'm doing that shit for a better future. This is Rico Lamite, Dopest Down the Street. Back to y'all. Cosign. I would definitely do the same damn thing. I don't know who this guy is, but it's apparent he don't have no black friends. Or else they would have told his ass, leave that fucking word out your mouth, just like you should have leave them loud-ass clothes at Amazon or Walmart or wherever the fuck you pieced it together. But if he would have said that shit to Mike Tyson, I'm pretty sure he would have slapped the shit out of his ass, just like Will Smith did Chris Rock. Um, and just to add a little bit more before we leave, what Rico was saying about social equity and the the stain of racism on this country for everybody out there listening and talking about racism is dead. We need to move on. It's just the word. It's people like Mike fucking Barnes keeping this shit alive. So until you can rectify and correct people like him from thinking that or thinking nigger lover, because you have those too, because that's the people that actually ended up um, mowing down the girl that Rico is talking about in North Carolina, a white girl. So white people, step it up. If you want to end racism, stop people like my, uh, Mike Barnes. Yeah, just let, dude, let him know that shit. That let him know how fucked up that shit is behind closed doors when it's just y'all, when, it, when we're not around. That's how you stop this shit from happening. I, I really can't say anything. It's too emotional. But I did want to give ATN a chance to speak uh, because he was quoted in the article and then Jenny Beth, and then we need to keep moving. Thank you, Susan. Uh, It's extremely disappointing to have to respond to something like this in 2022, but as stated, racism is still alive and well. Uh, Considering that uh, Mike Barnes was at California events, most of y'all may have remembered him as the 420 limo. He not only dressed in his suit, but he would park his vehicle at events for patients to use for decades. I've seen him at events for decades. Uh, the work he has done uh, helping LV Muzika, who is one of the two legal patients 
over the decades, and he's been regularly seen at events. He's never used this type of language and disrespect around her or around me. Uh, I was also made aware of this side of him when I was asked to comment on this article this past weekend after he was dropping my name at events. I know of him as an acquaintance who showed up at events and supported the scene, but I do not know him deeply as a friend. Why he dropped my name, I don't know. I've not seen him in years, and I and B Berkeley Patients Group in no way tolerate such language. We as a movement can do better. We must do better. And as our steward said here, we have to do better, especially in 22, and call it out in our own scene. So here's what we're doing. So carry on. Thank you, ATN. Jenny Beth, did you want to weigh in? Um, yeah, really quickly. I, you know, from the title of the article, I thought he was going to give me a, a soft A, not a hard R. So honestly, I feel like I got punched in the stomach a little bit listening to that. Um, Rico, you and I have discussed this repeatedly. We discussed it for a long time um, at an event the other day. It's, yep. you know, it's not always... I want to point out the blatant racism that is what's keeping it so alive. That was ignorant. That guy probably should stay in his home for quite some time until this blows over, which hopefully it doesn't. Rico, did, 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 you, did you say that he threw a bunch of weed like on the stage or like on the ground and told Mike Tyson to pick it up and smoke yeah, it or he, some shit like that? Yeah, he reached in his turkey bag and grabbed like a handful and threw it at Mike. It was a bunch on the, on the ground and, and Mike like dodged uh, a couple of the buds. He Mike was Tyson. looking for publicity, and he got it. it he's Mike an Tyson. attention whore. Mike yes. Tyson should have, should have treated this dude like the dude on the airplane and just knocked him the fuck out. Let's let's keep moving. I'm, you know. Let's just move. All right. So the industry's longest continuously operating retailer, known in certain California circles, is Kaiser Brose. He can be found in his natural habitat, rocking a mink coat, doing what he believes in, life, calling out. My partner in crime, the man, the Green Street mystery himself, Jason Beck. What you got for us today, my man? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Rico. Today, <clears throat> today, my story is from Los Angeles, where the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department operation leads to 100 marijuana arrests in the Antelope Valley. Announced Tuesday that a joint operation to take down multiple illegal marijuana grows in the Antelope Valley resulted in more than 100 arrests and the destruction of several thousand of pounds of cannabis products. The marijuana eradication team, which consisted of the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, the California National Guard, uh, Counter Drug Task Force, and the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, served 116 marijuana cultivation-related search warrants in the Antelope Valley in the first four months of 2022, according to the Sheriff's Department. The search warrants resulted in 100 misdemeanor arrests and seven felony arrests. Authorities also seized 101,090 marijuana plants and 53 firearms and 14,980 pounds of harvested cannabis was destroyed. Continuing, in the spring of 2022, narcotics investigators conducted aerial reconnaissance with the California National Guard uh, Counter Drug Task Force. According to the LASD, they identified 350 outdoor cultivation sites in the Antelope Valley, down from over 750 locations in 2021. This reduction in cultivation sites is directly related to increased enforcement efforts in the Antelope Valley. Search warrants were served at 80% of the identified cultivation sites and the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department anticipates warrants will be served at the remaining 20% by fall of 2022. Los Angeles Sheriff 
uh, Sheriff Alex Villanueva says illegal dispensaries are a source of extreme amounts of violence. You have robberies, you have murders that were that were that we're handling Villanueva said other agencies have to handle in the, in the basin and they're all tied to the cash trade down in these illegal dispensaries. In fact, illegal dispensaries outnumber the legal ones 50 to one that will give you the size of the magnitude of the problem that we're handling right here. LA Sheriff's department narcotics investigators uh, created the email address, marijuana tips at lasd.org in July, 2021. And anyone who can provide information to detectives investigating marijuana cultivation cases was encouraged to contact via email. That's not very too anonymous. I don't know. I think they need to just get an 800 number or something. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. 50 to 1? Is that a real number? That's what the Sheriff's Department says. Whether it's a real number or not, that's what the Sheriff's Department is standing on. What is that, like 5,000 illegal dispensaries in the state? That's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, well, you know, Villanueva's got a lot of problems in his own house. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of this is probably just a distraction. It's an issue. But uh, anybody want yeah, do a deep dive in the L.A. County Sheriff's Office in Villanueva if you want to see problems. You mean the white supremacist gang that is Well, un- unfortunately, I wish as- there, it's actually not really white supremacists. It's a, there's a strain of Latino called the, the Rancho Libertarians. These dudes are... You know, Latino, but they, um, yeah, it's, 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 these are mostly Latino dudes, Rico. Um, so it's, it's a little complicated, but they're just, yeah, that's a deep issue I, would, I don't want to get into right now, but he's got a lot of problems. The, the, sher- the LA Sheriff's is a, is a really messed up organization. It's a, it's a lot of self-hatred out there, right? That's what it is, man. It, it's just, it's, you know, Google like Rancho Libertarians. It's a whole group of, um, you know, they, they think it's uh, the 1880s. Um, they, it's just a, it's just an odd crew of folks. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you, Eric. I, I think there's just a distraction to take away from the other stuff that uh, Villanueva is dealing with. Um, yeah, the targets that they have on the community. So, I mean, he, he probably wants to um, um, see him self and his, and his whole team, his whole crew of um, assholes over there in the sheriff's department doing good work. But um, yeah, whatever. what's messed up is they direct a lot of that at other Latinos. So that, you know, they go yep. into our community and they bus heads and, and more. I haven't seen, I haven't gotten that far in my ballot, but is he on the ballot this? Yes. Primary yes he is. That's at Los Angeles, Susan, you're Long Beach. You don't get to vote for him. Los Angeles County, right? Yeah, Villanueva's L.A. County. L.A. County. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I got a a flyer in the mail yesterday, cops for uh, these candidates. So they list all the candidates that the cops are for. And it's like, thank you. Thank you for that information. Now I know who not to vote for. We've got Ali Muffins up from the audience. Ali, we're at time, but I'd love to hear what you have to say. I yield to Nicholas. Uh, I think he had something to add if you need, but... Quickly, I'll say, if you look at my PTR, marijuanatips.ca in Canada is available. And I think the marijuana tips domain would be better used for selling like custom filters or something like that. So hopefully someone uses it for the right reasons. Thanks for letting me speak. It's, yeah, it's very stupid for them to have an email address. You know, when, when you call like Crime Stoppers or shit like that, all that shit's supposed to be anonymous. And so sending an email with a tip is zero anonymity. I was just clapping it up for Susan. Yeah, you're right. If you get a voter guard from the sheriff's department or police union saying vote for this candidate, vote for the other guy, period.
He did at least open up concealed and carry in Los Angeles again, though. <laughs> Great. Let's keep, let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> this doctor has been around so long that he probably wrote your parents' medical cannabis recommendation. This doctor has had more patients than liberals waiting in line at a President Biden book signing. Founder of Medican and co-founder of the CESC, the nonprofit cannabis research organization. It's none other than Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Dr. Gene Please give us our daily dose. Thanks, Jason. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, everyone. This story is published in High Times by A.J. Harrington. Uh, the headline is, New Study Confirms Safety of CBD. A new comprehensive study of more than 1,000 people has confirmed the safety of orally ingested CBD products from 17 different manufacturers. The study provides data that addresses the U.S. FDA's concerns about the safety of CBD. On the FDA website, there's a list of potential harms, side effects, and unknowns to CBD consumption. At the top of the list are concerns that CBD causes liver injury, that CBD increases the risk of sedation or drowsiness in combination with alcohol or other drugs, and that CBD can damage fertility in males or male offspring of women who've been exposed to CBD. The CBD manufacturing community responded with a two-part study finding that the daily consumption of CBD across a range of CBD retail products and doses is not associated with elevated liver tests, low testosterone levels, or daytime drowsiness. The first cohort of the study was peer-reviewed and published in Cannabis and Cannabinoid Medicine last year. It reported how CBD products from 12 different manufacturers did not affect the liver function of 839 study participants. The second cohort includes an additional 222 individuals taking CBD from five additional companies. According to the researchers, the participation of the additional study subjects strengthens the statistical reliability of both the liver safety results and statistical relevance for both sleep and testosterone results. A total of 17 CBD companies provided participants with their standard CBD regimen during the study period. Participants were all adults age 18 to 75 and had been taking oral CBD products for at least 30 days with an average consumption of eight and a half months. The average CBD dose was 51 milligrams per day. Average full spectrum doses were 41 milligrams per day. Broad spectrum was 54 milligrams per day and isolate was 64 milligrams per day. Participating in the study has also allowed us to help provide regulators, scientists, product formulators and other stakeholders with the evidence needed to prove the safety profile of CBD, said Blake Schroeder, CEO of Medical Marijuana Inc. and its subsidiary, Canaway, one of the companies that participated in the research. The study did not find that liver function enzymes were elevated any more than the general population. What's even more interesting is that the study found that the prevalence of low testosterone was less, particularly in older age groups, 40 to 59, and older than 60. Another interesting secondary endpoint is that the prevalence of diabetes among participants age 45 or older was significantly lower than the general population. 
So these results indicate that CBD may be beneficial for both low T and diabetes. In conclusion, self-medication of oral CBD for more than 60 days in an adult population is not associated with increased prevalence of liver function test, um, uh, elevated liver function, testosterone deficiency, or daytime drowsiness. So if the FDA does not act to regulate CBD products, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable will call on Congress to pass relevant legislation. There are currently three pending bills, two in the House and one in the Senate. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We've got Mary Clifton up from the audience. Mary, what happened to your cool picture with you on the big couch? I missed that picture. Oh, I'll switch it back. I, I switched to the uh, elephant on the day you asked for people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks for, the, thanks for the reminder. You know, I love this study because I mean, CBD is so safe, and we don't we we don't see issues with it. But we do see occasional liver enzyme elevations, especially at higher concentrations. I mean, do you are you seeing uh, any trend in your practice? Who is getting elevated liver enzymes, or why? I haven't been able to find a good correlation in the literature. And I think it's just very idiosyncratic, just related to that one particular individual and the way they're responding. So I, I'd appreciate your thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not seeing elevated uh, liver enzymes, uh, but I have seen the reports of elevated uh, liver enzymes. I think it's dose dependent, really. I think it's uh, because these doses were fairly low, 50 milligrams a day. Whereas, you know, the uh, Epidiolex doses are closer for adults to uh, 1,000 milligrams per day. So it may be dose dependent as well. Do you make any recommendations to people who are consuming higher concentrations to get their liver enzymes checked after they're at, like, say, 300 milligrams or more a day? I'm sorry. You, you said, should we recommend yeah. LFTs at, high, at low, uh, higher doses? Yeah, I was wondering if you I, do that with your patients. I think so. I they're just it's very difficult to find those higher doses. I mean, you really have to go to the Epidiolex or get those, um, you know, those syringe concentrates and really uh, pound them to get upwards of a thousand milligrams per day. But if someone, you know, for example, is trying chemotherapy um, with CBD or or other cannabis products, I think it's a good idea to check their their labs every so often. It's a super reassuring study. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I, and hopefully the FDA will respond. That's a really, really good story, a, Dr. Sean. I had a quick question. Um, just I'd seen the radical health study that was released recently about CBD and anxiety. It was like a, a broad study. And they had showed that it was like even up to like a thousand milligrams of THC. There was no liver toxicity at all. I was just curious about the dosage, but I'll let you guys go. I know we need to move. Yeah, we gotta get a we gotta get a medical uh, uh, spin <laughs> going here. Okay. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's keep. All right. So this Northern California-based pot smoking PhD somehow remains optimistic in the midst of all this absolute cannabis industry chaos. Coming to the stage next is a political economist and the founder of Mahajan Consulting, Manika Mahajan. What you got for us today? Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Rico, for that intro. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be talking about something happy. 
Today, I, uh, I'm bringing you another story from Oakland. Yesterday, I talked to you about the Emerald New Deal, a proposal for designating local cannabis tax revenue for services that benefit victims of the war on drugs. And today, I'm, talking, I'm reporting again from Oakland, but this time from the cannatourism angle. Visit Oakland, a not-for-profit 501c6 organization, has launched the Oakland Cannabis Trail, a curated, immersive trip through the town's diverse neighborhoods. The president and CEO for Visit Oakland describes it as, quote, an extension of our commitment to stimulate our economy through smart marketing, visitation, destination development, and tourism infrastructure. We created a program to capitalize on the growing cannabis travel trend and enrich our visitors' experience. By sharing information that inspires visits to Oakland, makes people comfortable and engaged, we're also promoting and supporting viable local businesses. Oakland is proud to continue our pioneering traditions with the launch of this unique and on-trend tourism offering." End quote. So trail growers uh, can explore cannabis retail shops, restaurants, local attractions, and sensory activities, including hand-selected art exhibits and the great outdoors. Featured on the trail are eight cannabis shops that represent the deeply rooted past and innovative future of cannabis in Oakland. From Harborside, established in 2006, and one of the oldest and largest cannabis retailers in the world, to Rooted in the 510, Oakland's newest shop that opened on 420 this year, the trail honors Oakland's pioneering legacy. Three destinations on the trail are cultural landmarks, the Oaksterdam Uptown District, Bluntsenmore, and Harborside. Cannabis-motivated travel is an opportunity for cities and states to attract customers for local businesses and support the cultural history of the sector. National travel research conducted in 2020 showed a ready, willing, and surprisingly affluent cannabis traveler that prefers cannabis experiences while on vacation. The study found that the cannabis-motivated travel audience in the United States accounted for 18% of all adult Americans in January of 2020. And Brian Applegarth, who also pioneered the California's Cannabis Trail, which we talked about, I think, a couple weeks back, believes it's grown even more over the past couple of years. Quote, the 2020 study was conducted prior to the pandemic, with cannabis being deemed essential and product sales significantly increasing the past two years plus across multiple destinations. The cannabis travel audience has likely grown exponentially, end quote. The Visit Oakland site has posted a cannabis trail map and events calendar to help you or uh, or any other visitors in planning a stony DIY journey. And there are also resources to safely and legally enjoy your journey. They recommend saving a half day, full day, or two full days for the ultimate experience. I can't wait to check it out. That's what I've got for you today. This is Menika Mahajan reporting from the sunny side of the bay for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Sounds like a fun time. I love this story. Thank you, Manica. Thank you. Come on up and I'll take you around the trail. I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, Manica, thank you. Thank you for bringing that. That's so important. And it, what they're carving out in Oakland, that, there's going to be more of these rolling out. I'm working on something in this space and there's more counties coming. So this is, this is going to be a thing. It is a thing. And I can tell you, working in the travel space for a couple decades, editors and those that cover the space love these trails because it makes... It just makes coverage really easy. So you know, for the reader, for the visitor. So this is gonna this is gonna be super substantial for California and beyond and beyond. Is, is is Oakland giving any funding to clean up the trail as far as pick up all the trash in Oakland? I do not know because they should um, be. If that's specifically part of the trail, but you know, citywide initiatives would cover that. I know there's county money, so that I do know and. 
and you got to give Oakland credit. You know, they're, they're, they've done some good work up there. They've come a long way for sure. And I think uh, Richard Lee moving into town did a lot of good for that. But we're going to relight the room really quickly. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any exceptions in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. This badass can of mom is the co-founder of the International Cannabis Bar Association, current chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, founder of San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, and the organic source for the silkiest, smoothest vocal cords in the Western Hemisphere. Coming up next, it's Lara DeCaro. <laughs> Thank you so much for that intro, Jason. Hi. Hey, everyone. So coming in from the cooler, aka foggier side of the bay today, my story is actually about one advocate in the fight for access to safe and affordable cannabis, Harvey Milk. I chose this um, not because it's breaking news, um, but because this Sunday, May 22nd, is Harvey Milk Day. Uh, and there is a party in the Castro if you'd like to go. Starting at 11 a.m., the Castro Theater will be hosting free, unticketed screenings of relevant movies. Uh, and about noon, speeches by those who actually knew Harvey Milk uh, will start and a block party kicks off at 1 o'clock. It's all free and open to the public. And I highly encourage you to go and check out the beautiful Castro and the beautiful people that parade around the Castro <laughs> during these types of events. So anyway, so the article is entitled... Who was Harvey Milk and what did he do for cannabis legalization? As the first openly gay man elected to public office in California, Milk was and continues to be, decades after his death, one of the most important figures in LGBTQ plus history. Um, according to the article, he was born and raised in Woodmere, New York. He uh, earned a mathematics degree in 1951 and immediately enlisted in the Navy, but he had to resign rather than face a court-martial after being caught in a park frequented by gay men. Uh, the Navy, to their credit, did name a ship after him in 2019. He moved to San Francisco in 1972 and settled in the Castro, which is our gay neighborhood. He was quickly dubbed the mayor of Castro Street. He was super boisterous. He co-founded the Castro Village Association, launched the inaugural Castro Street Fair, which is fantastic, by the way, and did a brief stint in Mayor George Moscone's administration. He then ran for state assembly, and he founded the San Francisco Gay Democratic Club, um, where he successfully pushed for reorganization of our city council. It's pretty formative of our city. Anyway, he also led a campaign against a proposed ban on gay and lesbian teachers from public schools. So among all that, you might be saying, so what did he actually do for cannabis? Well, Stevie D is quoted in the article as saying, the entire medical cannabis movement owes a direct debt to the gay community of San Francisco. There's a very, very direct line of debt there. So while uh, Harvey Milk did give up weed to uh, further his own political career, he always supported legalization. And just three weeks before he was assassinated, he helped to prop uh, to pass, I'm sorry, Proposition W, which was drafted by his friend and colleague, whom you also probably know, Dennis Perone. The language of Prop W reads this way. 
We, the people of San Francisco, demand that the district attorney, along with the chief of police, cease the arrest and prosecution of individuals involved in the cultivation, transfer, or possession of marijuana. This passed with a 56% approval rate and was in effect, um, unfortunately, at the time that um, Mr. Milk and um, then Mayor Moscone were shot and killed in November of 1978. When Diane Feinstein took over as mayor, she allegedly uh, instructed the police to ignore Prop W and to continue prosecutions. So Milk once said, he's quoted in this article as saying, I should say, it takes no compromise to give people their rights. It takes no money to respect the individual. It takes no political deal to give people freedom. On uh, Sunday, May 22nd, I would encourage you to go out, um, light up, have a good time, celebrate Harvey Milk, Dennis Perone, and all of the other leaders who helped make this happen for us. My name is Laura DeCaro. I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. A big shout out to Harvey Milk and all the all the great work that he did in his lifetime. Uh, Laura, did uh, Sean Penn do a, a good job of portraying him in the biopic? <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> um, I, I I think so. I, I think he really did. Sean is an amazing sort of method actor, right? Where he just dives all the way in. Um, I think he did. But there are a lot of other movies out. I don't think that's the one that the Castro Theater is screening. They're screening a couple of other, um, there's like the an older life and times of Harvey Milk that they're doing. It's it'll important. Be fun. <laughs> it's really important that, that we keep highlighting the history of the cannabis movement and just really keep the culture uh, alive. It, it's, I, I really appreciate you doing this story today, Lara. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, yeah, you, thank you for without, covering this, Lara. Absolutely. Without Harvey and without uh, Dennis Prone, there's no prop 215 and which started the whole movement, you know, towards legalization. So those got, you know, that community was just totally the trailblazer. hundred percent facts. We would still live under the eighties draconian drug laws. If these events did not happen. Let's do it. So he's a fifth generation Californio that also happens to be an award-winning journalist, brand building content ninja, and a freedom fighting farmer's friend, always ready to hit us with that hard hitting truth. Lamestream media refuses to show you. Eric Hislereta, what you got for us today, my man? Thank you, Rico. Um, thank you so much for the intro. Hey everybody, great to be here today. Coming to you with uh, a story from Dot LA and it's Cannabis and the Metaverse how LA cannabis startups are lighting up the virtual realm. So increasingly, we're talking about the good, bad, and ugly about the crypto space, and it has uh, increasing presence and potential in cannabis and beyond. So let's dive right into this one. Quoting, with West Hollywood becoming a hub for cannabis consumption lounges and many Silicon Beach companies embracing virtual reality, it was only a matter of time before two of Los Angeles' two burgeoning industries started mingling. While many cannabis firms are st still figuring out how to incorporate the metaverse and Web3 applications like NFTs, Saucy Farms and Extracts has become one of the first businesses to offer THC products in the metaverse as part of a dispensary in CryptoVoxels, a virtual platform built on the Ethereum blockchain. Local weed brand Califari, meanwhile, recently sold NFT artwork to support the cannabis-oriented criminal justice nonprofit The Last Prisoner Project. Then there's groups like the Crypto Cannabis Club, an organization centered around 10,000 NF tokers that gives holders discounts on cannabis products and has hosted weed-themed meetups in the Decentraland metaverse. 
Uh, according to Crypto Cannabis Club CEO Ryan Hunter, about 20% of the community is based in California, with the organization's most active chapter located in Southern California. Hunter said that CCC uses different metaverses based on its needs. If the club wants to host virtual 420 or 710 gatherings for all of its members, those would take place in the Decentraland because it's more of a wide open space, while interactive gaming experience would be on the Sandbox platform, where noted weed entrepreneur Snoop Dogg has already staked a claim. Quoting, we're trying to intentionally create a community of folks that are part of the cannabis community in the real world and want to be part of the cannabis community as it expands into the metaverse and these virtual communities that are developing, he said. In addition to cannabis ventures, artists are also exploring how the metaverse and Web3 can help them connect with new audiences. Reese Kinsbursky, art director of the Artist Tree Dispensary chain, told Dot LA that he has received interest interest from artists about showing their NFT artwork on the dispensary's walls. One even explored marketing a piece for sale via a QR code that would be, di be displayed in the dispensary. And while the artistry does not currently display NFT art at its stores, Kinsbursky did not rule it out in the future. Quoting, it certainly has the capabilities to change a lot in how the e-commerce space functions, he said, of the overlap between NFTs and cannabis, but it's too soon to tell. Cannabis aside, the metaverse is blossoming into a major focus for tech companies in L.A. From social media companies like Snap to entertainment giants like Disney, there are no shortage of players leveraging virtual reality to grow their businesses and expand how they interact with audiences. Likewise, Hunter and other cannabis entrepreneurs hope that engaging with metaverse platforms can expand their brand awareness and e-commerce presence. In addition to launching a direct-to-consumer offering featuring collectible NFTs, uh, in partnership with delivery company Camp Nova, CCC is building a dispensary in, in crypto voxels to display products from partner brands. In time, Hunter wants the virtual dispensary experience to mirror the real one, complete with a cultivation space where visitors can learn about the growing process. As for cannabis consumers who may doubt the metaverse's potential, Hunter believes a little skepticism is healthy. I think there's every reason for them to be suspicious, and that's a great way to approach it, he said. I'm not trying to convince anybody. We're trying to create a community that earns its place and hopefully will find folks who are open-minded and they'll tell friends who are less open-minded and convince them. Well, personally, on my experience so far with Digital Realms, uh, which goes back to Web 1.0 days in the late 90s, is do your research and due diligence, proceed with caution, and keep an open mind. You never know what's going to happen next. And that's what I've got today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. I wanted to give a shout out to the woman, Women Empowered in Cannabis. They're hosting an event on May 23rd at 4 o'clock Pacific time. You can get tickets on Event High. And it's uh, from the website. It says, our first series is Unlocking the Power of Crypto, the Fundamentals of Blockchain, Cryptocurrency, Web3, NFTs, and the Metaverse, hosted by Amanda Raymond, founder of Personal Plants, and Lisa Snyder co-founder of Tokativity. So if you want to learn more about I, I need to go to this. I, I don't get it at all. I don't understand. You know, like a, a big shout out to you, uh, Eric, for continuing, you and Brandon continuously covering these um, Web3 stories, uh, crypto, and um, with the NFTs and everything. But we got to pay attention to it. It's not going anywhere. There's too much money in it. And I know shit dropped like 80% last week and it's volatile as fuck, but this is this is the future. And we got to start paying more attention to these uh, stories because it's going to affect us a lot sooner than we think. Yeah, just a reminder, a great point, Rico, was like in, around 99, 2000, um, when I was very involved in Web 1.0, 
shit just blew up. And especially in the publishing world and, and the traditional publishers on the East Coast, were, were lit- everybody was saying the web was dead, that this shit was going away. And those of us on the West Coast were still working. It's like, no, you're right. Like, you know, 80, 90% of this was bullshit, but the 10 to 15% that was for reals, like what, what Bezos was doing, it's, I mean, it was real, right? So here we are 20, what, 25 years later. So there's stuff, there's something there. It's just, it's Wild West time and it, it will mature and something is definitely going to come out of this. Yeah, people used to pay 50 bucks a month for AOL.com to get dialed. <laughs> Some people still have AOL email addresses. I don't understand. Are My they paying mom for does, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Anybody who does, you are a target. <laughs> yes, yes. You are a mark. Uh, we have to hear from Joan Irvine, representing the senior community. Joan, get on up here. Are you up here? Where are you? Okay. Guess she can't get up. There she is. Come on, Joan. Oh, no. Senior community. That was perfect. We did not set that up. Okay, let's keep smoking the news. All right. This beard was born and bred in Michigan. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores. This intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruits Labs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have today for us? Thank you for that colorful introduction. Today, my headline comes from Yahoo. It's Wiz Khalifa and Next Bite launch Packed Bowls, a new delivery-only menu for late-night munchies. This story felt pretty advertorial, but it's cool nonetheless and something I thought the cannabis community may want to know about. The headline kind of says it all. Next Bite is rolling out a special delivery-only menu with Wiz Khalifa, extending its partnership with the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning artist. The menu will feature special flavor mashups and was inspired by the best-selling item from Wiz's delivery-only restaurant, Hot Box by Wiz Khalifa. Wiz worked with Next Bite's culinary team to curate each item on the menu. The Pack Bowl's menu features combos like crispy tater tots layers with creamy, mac and yellow, proteins, and tantalizing sauces, as well as other items. Bowls have colorful and flavorful topping options like hot Cheetos dust, Lay's barbecue dust, and Doritos dust, and insert other chip sponsor here dust. Next Bite was a logical partner as a turnkey virtual restaurant solution, and the partnership allows existing restaurants and kitchens to become a partner for packed bowls by Wiz Khalifa. Alex Cantor, CEO and co-founder of Next Bite, said, quote, Our data and consumer insights showed an opportunity to reinvent the late-night food space with something more unique than just tacos or pizza. We worked closely with Wiz to develop this fun menu with a late-night experience in mind. Packed bowls will be available for delivery via Uber Eats, DoorDash, and Grubhub in select cities across the country starting June 1st. Packed bowls is actually not NextBite's only celebrity-driven delivery menu. They also power George Lopez's tacos. Wiz Khalifa said, quote, I'm excited to take my food brand to the next level with menu that is extremely unique in the marketplace and that will deliver a sensational euphoric food experience for consumers. When it comes to late night cravings, simply won't cut it. Simple won't cut it. Packed bowls will give your taste buds a hit with the amazing mashups we've created. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. I'm reporting from MJ Unpacked and it's loud here, so I'm going to mute myself. 
Brandon, do you think he's setting himself up for a cannabis edibles company delivery? Uh, that would not shock me at all. I mean, he's already carved out a niche in the cannabis space. And, you know, a Wiz Khalifa cannabis edible would not shock me anywhere. I just wish the options were healthier, especially since he's, like, super healthy on his Instagram. He works out. So I just wish there were, like, healthier options just than, you know. It just seems like the late night food, like, we can kind of change that um, into healthier options. Would you prefer him have a charcuterie board, Shalina? No, because that's cheese and cheese is dairy. Dairy's yeah. not the best. <laughs> More like processed meats, fruits, vegetables. I know it sounds ridiculous, but more like, you know, even vegan options or plant-based options. I think tacos are pretty healthy. Yesterday I had soy chorizo and it was actually really fire. Isn't it technically soy rizo? I think that's what the name was. It was at a cannabis capital. They were passing out spicy uh, soy chorizo tacos. Man, stoners want fucking sweets and fucking good snacks. That's not necessarily true. It is but true. We've got miracle. We love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, mac and cheese, and all those greats. Deep fried. I didn't understand the deep fried uh, peanut butter and jelly. That was. You don't ever need to watch when you know it's always peanut butter jelly time. Susan. Yeah. But it's deep fried. It's deep fried. Fucking bomb. You it. should try it. How do you. Okay, we've got Miracle Jackson up from the audience. Miracle, did you want to weigh in on this headline? <clears throat> oh, hi, yes. Um, my name's Clay. Miracle's my wife. Um, but okay, we can't hear you. That's a gong, Susie. Let's keep smoking the news. He's a Wisconsin-rooted, Fresno-based raptivist repping the strong black conservative voice that all those other news channels don't want you to know exist. The haters of race bitters will not block out the black side of liberty constantly exposed by this Fresno City councilman to be Nicholas Wildstar. What you got for us, my man? Come on with it. Thank you, Rico. Happy Malcolm X Day, my state of cannabis comrades. Be sure to spark an extra one today for the prolific civil rights leader who warned black people that white liberals like Mike Barnes are not your friend. Although Rhode Island has about 6% black population, out of the million plus people living there, just like everyone else in the nation, they make up uh, the 30% majority number of people incarcerated, which includes cannabis-related offenses. But that's not why I'm bringing up the Hope State. Rhode Island is one of those states that isn't talked about much, um, that isn't talked about much, but today, it is in the national headlines from coast to coast. That's because the littlest state on the East Coast is making big moves towards recreational marijuana use after being one of the about a dozen or so states in the country that prohibits cannabis entirely. The Senate Judiciary and House Finance Committees both advanced legislation to their respective chambers. The legislation passed in the Senate Judiciary Committee 9-1 and in the House Finance Committee 12 to 2. The bills will go up to the full Senate and House for votes, which are set to take place on Tuesday. I'll be willing to sign a piece of legislation if it gets to my desk the way I understand it. It's going to be delivered, said Governor Dan McKee. McKee had concerns about the previous draft, but the bill has since been revised. One of the biggest changes is automatic expungement for any prior civil violation, misdemeanor, or felony conviction for possession of marijuana decriminalized by the bill. 
if it becomes law, people at least 21 years old would be able to sell and possess up to one ounce of pot and keep no more than 10 ounces in their home and grow a small amount. I would all, it would also allow 33 retail licenses across six zones in Rhode Island. Marijuana would be a cash crop for the state through a 10% cannabis tax, a 7% sales tax, and a 3% tax for the place that sold it, even though those taxes, like California's Prop 64, violate the Controlled Substances Act due to the positive conflict. However, the member who voted against the bill in the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lou Raptakis, said the money wouldn't be worth it. Whatever the dollar figure is, it's not worth losing lives, he said. We've had two youngsters killed in the state of Rhode Island, a young lady in East Greenwich, a young man in West Warnick, under impaired driving because of alcohol. Now we're introducing marijuana, Raptakis said. Not sure how or why. He concluded driving while high equates to drunk driving, but Raptakis said the state needs to get serious with harsher punishments for drunken drivers before introducing marijuana. And the House Finance Committee reps Grace Diaz and Camille Vela Wilkinson both voted against the bill as well. McKee said he has intentions to sign the Rhode Island uh, Cannabis Act into law if it gets on his desk, but he said he'll listen to concerns. In revised legislation, the start date for recreational sales was pushed from October 1st to December 1st. More hurry-up-and-wait proposals by lame-duck politicians during a perfectly convenient election year. Reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour, this is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I'd like to change that to vote now or forever hold your peace. Y'all, primary election season, make sure you, I know it's a lot of work, but go through your ballots and vote. Yes, yes, here, here, right now, vote now. Smoke the vote. And Vote red, down ticket. It's, it's, it, vote or die. It is a big job. I mean, it, there's a lot of stuff on this on this primary election ballot, and you don't want to just you know, vote for somebody that you don't know. I'm doing a lot of research, but there are resources. Uh, Normal has a smoke the vote campaign. And like I said, you know, you get something from the cops telling you who to vote for. You can take that for what it is. Um, but you, you got to do it. It matters. Vote or die. Yeah, that's right. Coming up next, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and that's right, psychedelics. Coming next to the stage is the founder of the Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Talk? It's none other than Shalina Panu. Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Leafly Launches Cannabis Delivery Services in Recreational States. Oh, wait, no, sorry, that's... In delivery legal states, Leafly assists millions of people discover and learn basic information and genetics of different cannabis strains each year. Leafly accomplished this through their powerful research platform and database, which enables shoppers to make wise decisions when purchasing cannabis. As reported by Business Wire, Leafly announced this week that consumers who visit Leafly are now able to place a cannabis delivery order via their website and app within states that allow for cannabis delivery. 
It's a brilliant model as Leafly is combining their enormous database of every type of reviewed product available and now combining it with the ability to purchase that product directly from their website. When you download their app, it now reads Leafly Find Weed, Order Weed. Once you open the app, you must enable location services. And if you are in a legalized state, it will then show you nearby doctors, dispensaries, delivery services, prices and deals while you are using the app. <clears throat> So it's not delivering the products to you directly, but rather connecting you to all the delivery services available around you and then allowing you to directly purchase your products right there in the app or website, which will then send your order to the delivery service. According to LA Weekly, Leafly beats out other delivery partners because of their consumer reviews due to years of data they have received about consumers. CEO of Leafly, Yoka <clears throat> Miyashita stated, it's our consumers who tell us, hey, this is kind of a crappy delivery experience and that manifests in reviews. That's something we take into consideration as we're sorting and providing options. The CEO further stated that Leafly is the informed way to shop for cannabis because our leading database of strain and product reviews is a vital resource for cannabis consumers. By adding the ability to place orders for delivery, we're combining our expertise and deep content catalog with the new layer of convenience for consumers. Leafly remains committed to expanding options and access for consumers, brands, and retailers through new features like delivery. It's one way we support the regulated cannabis market in California and elsewhere. Miyashita stated, if it's a crappy product because it's been stored in a place that's too hot, you're going to hear because our consumers tell us. If that delivery company charges too much and that delivery fee is too high, they're not going to pick that. So it's all about surfacing that rich information so consumers can make smart choices. What are your thoughts on Leafly expanding into delivery services? My name is Shalane and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Is there room for Leafly and Weed Maps? I mean, they're like totally. Why isn't there? Why isn't yeah. there? I'm asking. I don't know. I'm asking. They, they already they, they already both exist doing the exact same thing. So why why wouldn't they? Yeah. I'm yeah, talking ten years from now. No. Go ahead, Shalina. No, I was I was looking at their website, like trying to see the differences about like weed maps and Leafly, and like they're. I mean, it's kind of the similar model now, especially that Leafly's now entered into doing delivery. Same thing. One's called Weed Maps. One's called Leafly. I mean, ten years from now, Holly it's going to be all consolidation, especially with the, like the biggest of the big. Amazon, so. right? Yeah. Amazon. Huh. Wonder how their investors. Uh, anyway, Ali Muffins, you get the last word. Wow. I want to tell you guys that I'm super happy to hear this because in Canada, the first time we were able to get insurance to pay for cannabis was this last December, not through retailers, but through a delivery company. And so as much as this is kind of big business, this is exactly what we need to get where we need to go. Great story, guys. Thank you for letting me speak. Canada Thanks. loves capitalism. All right. They, they do not like capitalism, bro. That's a commie country. <laughs> well, okay. We're going to end our show on that note. Uh, we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you like the content, please subscribe, leave us a review, get on there and subscribe. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Zsa Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note, and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose.
Bang. Free Britney G. <laughs> Uber just started a party, party bus co-share, bro. <laughs>